this edition of Facts, Opinions, and Rants. Hello, everyone. I'm excited that you're here. We're going to have Mailbag Monday. I'm going to take a lot of your questions, and they'll go everywhere from uh, faith all the way to politics and back to faith again. Don't miss this exciting edition of Facts, Opinions, and Rants with Stephen D. Mosley. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Facts, Pains, and Rants. I want to say thank you so much for everyone who listened to last week's episode. I got so much positive feedback from my mom, which was great. Always great to get feedback from her, but also from people who uh, voted for me in a campaign. Uh, one uh, friend sent me a long text message saying, hey, I'm old enough to be your grandmother, but the advice you gave was really good and went through it. And I want to say thank you guys so much. And if you didn't get an opportunity, please go back and listen to the Smart uh, Goals uh, podcast I gave last week, which was three lies I've learned about money. And I think it will be a blessing to you. Well, this week on Facts, Pains, Rants, I have three or four questions I'm going to go through. Questions you guys have sent me, some of you sent me over the years, and I'm just getting through some of them to get uh, to knock them out this week. Uh, some political ones, all the way to some serious ones of our faith. And so we're going to jump straight in. I'm going to start off with my friend Dylan. He asked this question. Do you believe there's a link between Satanism and liberalism? And uh, the humor in me wants to say, of course, yes, there is. But in all, and it's funny because Ann Coulter actually wrote a book about it called Demonic. So I encourage you to go back and read that book. But it's funny because you look at it, and I always point it out this way. It's not necessarily that Democrats and people who are liberal or Satanists, even though you know some are don't believe in God or anti-God. It is the ideas. Does liberalism, the ideas of liberalism, agree with the idea of Satanism? Or the, are they anti-biblical ideas would be a better way to say it. You say, well, how would you prove this test? Well, I'd say take Ten Commandments and... Take them one by one and see which party in their party platform affirms them or goes against them. Um, you know, you look at idolatry, which party is like, yeah, we, we got to get rid of, you know, the Judeo-Christian ethic of our, our country. Which party is like, well, you know, this one used this is a funny one because this one used to be solely, especially with Bill Clinton. It used to be a soul like, yeah, adultery. Which one's for that? And it's like, listen. Donald Trump, he's married three times, right? So it's like, were we affirming that, though? Or is that just a, a statement compared to, is our party that's affirming adultery or what do they call it now? Yeah, yeah, sex work, right? That's that's the new term the left's using. You know, who's who's affirming those type of things and who's discouraging those types of things? Uh, abortion, murder, right? Thou shall not kill. Uh, covetousness, you know, the idea that there's too many rich people out there. We need to take their money and give it to the poor. Or we need to cap how much people can make. We need to have a, a, a livable wage, you know, some people are saying, instead of a wage by, uh, by merit. You know, these are all ideas that are popular among liberals, popular among the progressives like AOC, um, that are totally against the scriptures, what the Bible teaches. And that's why a biblical worldview is so important. Also, it's why having Christians within the Republican Party to hold up what we call the Tony Perkins platform, that the last platform the Republicans did, um, why that's important because it's the most Christian platform of any uh, political party I've ever seen. I want to encourage you go and read the Republican platform from I believe 2016. That, that's the last time they did it. They didn't even try to do a new one. It's so good. Go and read it, and you ask yourself from these platforms which one directly aligns with Scripture or has principles that are in line with Scripture, and which one does not. Read it for yourself. But I will say this, and it, um, as Christians. It should lead us into a conservative or Republican party because the party platform lines up with our faith. But let's not be fooled to think that every person who's a Republican is standing for those values. 
even those who may claim the name of Jesus. That's why you got to really check them out. And, you know, social conservatism seems to be dying in this country. And that's what really is the, the you know, the heartbeat of the conservative movement. It's the heartbeat of Christian values and politics. Social conservatives, you look at people like Rick Santorum and Mike Huckabee. Those are the people that's like, yeah, they've nailed it right where it should be and what we're talking about from a biblical perspective or, or a, a, a perspective that honors God. Whereas, I hate to tell you this, but the liberal, libertarian factions of our party does not have that. The idea that we would get high on drugs instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit as being acceptable, that we would legalize drugs in any way, shape, or form, seeing that marijuana use contributes to other drugs that are more deadly. But yet we're like, hey, let's throw marijuana in terrible na- and, you know, and, and, and have terrible consequences. And then say, well, it's for quote-unquote freedom. Like, remember, you're never free to do wrong. That's not freedom. What is it called in Scripture? Sin. Also, bondage. And so those are things we should be thinking through when we talk about political philosophies. I love how you asked the question, is it connected with liberalism? So we're not really talking about parties, but I did want to bring it at parties for a moment. But I really want to encourage you to think about political philosophies, right? You've heard me argue this on in multiple podcasts, that social conservatism is the best political philosophy that aligns with scripture. I would encourage you to check that with your Bibles. And also, I would also encourage you, since like a social, social conservative is one who helped write the 2016 platform, go look at the Republican 2016, or as we call it, the Tony Perkins platform. Uh, so great question there. Thank you so much, Dylan, for that question. Uh, number two, <laughs> here's a fun one. If you could, if you needed to create your own Star Trek world, what would it look like? <laughs> well, let me tell you, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, as you guys know, and I would create a world in which all of the people from, as I call it, the TNG era, the Star Treks from the 90s, all of them was on one episode or one series where you pick different people from a series and put them all on one ship together. So maybe you take a couple from TNG, Star Trek Next Generation, take maybe, um, let's see, who else is still alive? Uh, Worf, you would take Dr. Crusher, um, and uh, let's say Commander LaForge, and you would team them up with Chief O'Brien, uh, Dr. Bashir, um, uh, Major Kira from DS9, and then you pick key, key them together with a doctor, um, Tom Paris, and a couple others, and you would just see how these personalities interact. Um, I would also have them go through time, like I'd make it like a time ship, so they go back and forth through time for a couple episodes. I love the time episodes, that's why I would do that. I would bring back people who died from these time episodes and bring them back on a ship into a whole new timeline. So hello, Tasha Yar. Yeah, we bring her back. Um, I would bring through different timelines. I would change timelines so people would change. Uh, how they look would change. Their uniforms would change. There's a great episode about this, actually. There's an episode... Jeez, um, Louise, I'm trying to think of it. There's a TNG episode in which Worf it hits a time loop, and there's one where you see like all these him going through time, and him because he hits one thing, everything else changes. It's a great episode, but this is basically what I would do in my dream Star Trek world. Um, and I would really focus on on the values you saw in the '90s, where they really dealt with a lot of different issues. Right now, it seems like the only issue they deal with is LGBTQIA. Um, which it's like, okay, you know, you could do that for an episode, but when your whole series becomes about it, it really cheapens the product. And the product is really a product that challenges worldview and everything. And so I would go back to that. I would go back to some of those lessons you see in, like, in episodes like The Measure of a Man or the episodes in which Q is challenging Catholic Card in, in, in the goodness of humanity. 
Um, so I would really hammer on those things and those themes, and I would use that version of, of Star Trek and, and put it maybe 20 years after the last episode of Voyage. So, fun, uh, nerdy question. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan, for that one. I will say this. When we come back from the facts today, I'm going to answer some of your spiritual questions. You guys have some really good ones. And uh, I really want to encourage you, if you're like, hey, I'm not that spiritual, but I want to be, come back to after the fact of the day. And I think you will be encouraged to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ and to grow in the body of believers, a real place called church. Friends, don't go away. Valentine's Day, everyone. The facts, opinions, and rants fact of the day. It comes to you. Yeah, it's going to be a relational fact. Yeah, it comes to you from our friends at notthebee.com. Title, shocking. Experts discover a secret to marital happiness that only been known to anyone in history who's ever read the Bible. <laughs> Funny title. Let's go on to what it says. And I'm quoting from the article. When it comes to divorce, the research has generally backed up the belief that it's best to wait until around 30 to tie the knot. The sociologist Nicholas Wolfinger of the University of Utah found that women who got married, quote unquote, too early, mid-20s or earlier, were more likely to break up than their peers who married close to the age of 30. But here's the kicker. As we recently discovered, however, there is an interesting exception to the idea that waiting until 30 is best. In analyzing a report of marriage and divorce from over 50,000 women in the United States government's National Survey on Family Growth, NSFG, we found that there's a group of women who, when, who marriage before 30 is not risky. Women who marry directly without ever cohabitating prior to marriage. In fact, women who married between 22 and 30 without first living together at some of the lowest rates of divorce in NSFG. Well, today's fact of the day, it comes to you from not to be, as always. The facts, opinions, or rants that you hear here are totally mine. Do not necessarily reflect the people at the NSFG or uh, not to be, so please send positive feedback to them. Any hate mail to me. And now, well, let's get back to the podcast. And we are back. And we're back with a really great question. Uh, I will say this. It's a... Uh, oh, man, I love this question. It is based off of an episode that I did, uh, episode uh, uh, 221, so season 221, on about the Bible and slavery. And I want to encourage you, if you ever have questions about what does the Bible teach about slavery, go back and listen to that episode. But the question that was asked from my friend was, um, how can you be more on fire for God? If you've been a Christian longer than a year, You've probably experienced this, where you're on fire for God for a season in your life, and then you get a dry spell. You get where it's like, eh, this feels normative. This, this, um, this really feels like oh, I'm just kind of going through the motions. I'm going to use a lot of uh, Christian music, and you'll see why. Because I really do believe Christian music is a blessing to help you um, move forward in your faith. So that you're not at the place where you feel that you're you're dry, that you're you're dead, that you are not spiritually alive. Because all of us are Christians, we have the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Um, Ephesians chapter one teaches us that. So it's not that God has removed Himself from you. Um, uh, of course, we're talking about make sure that you're living in a holy lifestyle. You're not living in active sin. Of course, if you do that, then God would be disciplining you or, or confronting you with that. But or even people in your church would be. 
But when we're talking about, hey, just the feeling of like, hey, how do I stay on fire for God? I'm going to use a couple of Christian songs because I really do believe Christian music's a part of it. But the, the, the messages in these songs are part of it. So if you're a Michael W. Smith fan, Missing Person is kind of like what we're talking about here. You know, where you've gone from a point in your life where you're on fire for the Lord. And then you just don't feel that. You're looking for that missing person. How do you get that missing person back? Well, I want to tell you a couple of things. One, In the Secret. So, uh, great uh, Sonic Flood song. Go back and Google it. You'll Google all these. They're great songs from the 90s, early O's. In the Secret. What is that song about? That song is about taking time out of your day in a secret, in a quiet place to wait for the presence of God. So take time to pray and to read God's word, to meet with him. Another great song, uh, Meet With Me. The idea that you have an expectation in your life that when you wake up in the morning or when you are at lunchtime or when you're before you're going to bed, but there's some time in your life where you are in expectation waiting to meet with God, that you have a specific quiet place. I would encourage you to get that where you know in a secret, in a quiet place, in a stillness, God is there. And then you 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 share with him your desire to want to know him, that you want to know him more. That's part of it. Prayer is part of it. Because remember, we cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. We pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My friends, when's the last time you prayed prayers like that? So that's part of it. Praying in the secret. Saddle up your horse, The Great Adventure, yeah, Stephen Curtis Chapman, you know, early 90s song. Why is that one important? Because as we live out the stuff we're reading, that's how we become on fire from God because we are doing what he's commanded us to do. Remember Matthew 28, 18 to 20. What does he command us to do? To go into the world, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to disciple them, to make disciples of all nations. And behold, what does he say? I am with you to the end of the age. If you're like, yeah, I... I'm just at a dry spell in my life. Let me ask you, who are you discipling? Or who is discipling you? Because usually if you're in a discipleship, disciple relationship, you're on fire for your faith. So it's one of those things of like, yeah, I'm reproducing myself into a next generation. So I, that's exciting because you're seeing people grow. Or I'm being poured into. And so I want to encourage you if you're a believer and you've read through the scriptures and you are at this place, I want to encourage you, spend time with the Lord. Spend time with expectation that God will answer your prayers and speak to you. And also spend time with God's people in a way that you are pouring out what you've learned from God into someone else. These are a couple of things that I've seen that it's like, yeah, when you do these things, you're, you're on your great adventure, you're in the secret, you're praying to meet with God. It really leads you to walk the walk, to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God, to put your faith into action. Because once you start putting your faith into action, if you're doing these other things, you won't burn out for doing good. You'll be refueled while doing good. If you've been in ministry any for any time, you know what I'm talking about. The difference between your tank being on full, you know, kind of using that car analogy, or is it on empty? It's usually on empty when we're doing things for God, but we haven't spent time with God to hear from God. And it's usually overfull, and we feel like nothing that God is doing in and around us matters when 
all we do is take, take, take from the Lord. So whether it's we, we have great quiet times, we're praying, but we're not serving. We're not discipling. We're not being challenged in that way. When those things happen, the reverse happens. God has overfilled your cup, but you have nowhere to put it. And so you get used to the goodness of God. Instead of always being in awe of what an awesome God we have. And I want to encourage you, sing praises to him. If you feel like you need to have the fire of God again, light up that fire in your soul. Sing the songs that brought you to a place in which you have a memory and a connection with God that brings you back to a place where you're like, yeah, I remember where, where I was when this when I first heard the song. I remember where I was when I first accepted God's call. I remember what happened when here. I want this to be a motivating factor for you. So let these songs, let God's word, because God's word isn't all the points I just pointed out today, be a key factor. Let joy, not guilt, be the motivation. Sometimes we're guilted into quiet times. We're guilted into serving. We're guilted into X, Y, or Z. Don't let that be the thing. Let joy be it. Ask God, give me a heart of joy to do, to meet with you. Let me have a heart of joy to share. Replace fear with joy. Let me have a heart of joy. X, X, X. Whatever it is. You do that, my friend. You will see change in your life. You will see that fire be rekindled. And then the last question, I do want to take this one. Um, in the episode 232, Unity in Christ and Decline of Church Attendance, um, my friend Dorian asks this, there is a weariness in the body as it relates to an organization of the church that began with the pandemic, or I'm sorry, that, that began before the pandemic. Things like being program-driven and not developing spiritual gifts of the congregation. The lack of shepherding and discipling would... You know, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. And so my big thing, as you guys know, is make disciples who live and think like Jesus, who impact people and policy for God's glory. That's my mission statement in life. I want to take one word and really talk about this. Make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a person who is a fully devoted follower of Christ. What is discipleship? Discipleship is the process, lifelong process, in which a person grows in their faith in Christ. And so when we talk about the church, we talk about, yeah, is it all about attendance? No, it's not. But you won't grow unless you come, you show, you show up, right? So that was a catch-22 there. But what should be happening in your churches? One, it should be a defined mission. Now, a lot of churches I've been a part of, they've had mission statements, or they, they articulate things like when gross sin and stuff like that. But how do you do it? Because I really believe this. If you feel connected to the body of believers you're with, you will show up. And you say, how do you feel connected? You have to get connected to what we commonly call a Bible study or a small group. And then what should be happening in that small group? That small group should be developing you to use your gifts, talents, and abilities within the body of Christ as you guys study God's word together. And if they are um, small groups that are based off the Sunday morning sermon, of uh, discussion-based groups, that's fine. They still should be doing the same thing. Because what should be happening? You say, "What, Stephen, do you see any models of this where, where uh, models that are reproducible? Yes, I see two. There's one in Long Hollow, uh, Long Hollow Baptist Church in uh, na near Nashville, Hendersonville, Tennessee, uh, Robbie Gallaty. Go to his website, and they lay out, hey, this is what we expect of believers when they come here. All the way from the connection point of, of joining the church 
to growing in your faith through reading God's word, to joining a discipleship group, to joining a, uh, I'm not sure what they call them, but it's basically a, a, a peer mentor group where it's like one uh, guy f- uh, pouring into three or four men over a year and women, vice versa, and then sending them out to, to share the gospel. So when you go to that church, you know what it's about. You know what's the expectation. And you know what happens? When you get connected in these groups, you get connected to people. See, the body of Christ is a family. And there's some members of your family you're closer to than others. And sometimes, when, I, know, I know when I use that term, some of you are like, I'm not that close with my family. But I want you to hear it from the way God intends it. God has intended his eternal family to be a family of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit of God being a part of it. Now, these are imperfect people, just like you're imperfect. So when you get to the body of Christ, yeah, there's many times you make mistakes, people make mistakes against you. But what should be happening is when you connect to a group, you connect to a part of that family where you grow to love and, and know one another. And see, that is key to many other things. That's what we call in the church fellowship. That's key to us serving together and learning about our spiritual gifts. How many of you guys, you know, you know what your spiritual gift is? I would encourage you, take a spiritual gift test if you don't. And then ask for opportunity in your church to serve within your giftedness. So fellowship, service, because after you, you grow together, you want to serve together discipleship. So what should your discipleship look like? Well, first off, it should be about reading God's word and understanding that God's word is fully inspired. That means every word you have in your Bible is totally the word of God. And that is the book we use to make disciples, to grow in our faith. Nothing else is efficient like the word. You know, other things that are out there may complement God's word, but they're not inspired. They're human opinion. This is the only thing that's inspired by God. And so we need to take time reading it. And so what would that look like? You need to have a Bible reading plan and some way to hold each other accountable to it. As a church, you should be teaching through the scriptures, teaching through the theology, teaching through the Old Testament, teaching through the New Testament, teaching through biblical worldview. Those are the four quantas I usually go to. Theology, issue of the day, Old Testament, New Testament. Love God and love people should be at the center of your church. Most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Have a system in which the pastors equip the saints to do the work of ministry, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Teach the Bible, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. Baptize new believers and have communion. And then making sure, if you're using the Rick Warren purpose-driven model, that every person sees a pathway for them to get around all the bases, right? So they have a pathway to get into connected into groups so that they can have fellowship. A pathway into serving and learning their spiritual gifts a pathway to attending a worship service so they could worship Jesus together with other believers, a pathway into discipleship so that if they need to grow in their faith so they can reproduce, they can do that. And also they can reproduce via classes and then a pathway to invite people to church, share about Jesus and go on mission trips together. This pathway should be clearly seen in your churches. And when it is and people feel a part of it, it's less about the numbers and it's more about the growth. And that is what we're missing in a local church, I think, direction in, in this whole area. It's kind of like, hey, we throw something out there, Bible says stick on the wall, but it's like, well, where are we going in this Bible study? What is our goal this year? How do we make these four things I talk about part of the goal this year? 
if you are a leader in church, I want you to talk about that with your staff. Talk about what direction we want them to have. Not just how they want them to come and show up, but where are we taking them on this journey? How are we answering the big questions through God's word? How are we making disciples who live and think like Jesus? That's what it's all about. Jesus, thank you so much for my friends. Thank you for this time. Lord, I ask that you bless them this week and help them make disciples who live and think like you. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of Facts, Opinions, and Rants with Stevie D. Mosley. Next week, we're going to talk about COVID-19, its origins, and what the scientists say. Yeah, five reasons to believe that it was created in a lab. You are not going to miss next week's episode. We're going to talk about this little thing called uh, the Canadian Convoy. <laughs> you might have heard about it. We're going to hammer, well, talk a little bit about that next week. Well, as always, friends, thank you so much for listening, and please share it with everyone within your social media community and subscribe so you never miss an episode we're on apple Podcasts, anchor.fm spotify yeah all those places as always faith over party fact over fiction faith over everything we'll see you next week